Welcome to The Working Therapist with Hayden Bolick, a podcast designed to help you grow more, do more, and be more as a therapist. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. We're glad you've joined us for today's podcast. So here's your host, Hayden Bolick. Hey, everybody. Welcome to today's podcast. I'm Hayden Bullock, your host. And it probably sounds a little bit strange today, but that's because I'm doing this podcast via phone because that's what it's called, the working therapist, and I've been working. I'm by phone, and our guest today is Samantha Everett, and she is a physical therapist with Pediatric Developmental Therapy. And this is actually part two in a two-part series where she is discussing evaluating babies with torticollis. And if you didn't listen to part one, you need to hit pause right now and go back and listen to part one because it was phenomenal. And I'm going to tell you another thing. When you hit pause and go back and listen to part one, bring a pen and piece of paper because you're going to want to write some stuff down. It is that good. It was awesome. She went over six types of torticollis. She described each one. It's beautiful. Who knew there were six different types of torticollis? Personally, I did not. Samantha did, and she shared it with us. So we're going to jump into part two. But before we do, Samantha, let me just tell you a little bit about her. She's a physical therapist with pediatric developmental therapy. She's worked in the schools. She's worked in our Southern Pines Clinic. She's worked at two different developmental day centers in Southern Pines and in Richmond County with a birth to five caseload that's very intense. And she's also served children in, like I said, our Southern Pines Clinic, homes, daycares. And my goodness, Samantha, are you not tired or what? I'm loving every second of it, but thank you for that introduction. (laughs) That was the right thing to say, but you should be tired. That's a lot. But Samantha is very talented. We are very blessed to work with her. So let's jump on into part two. We just ran out of time in the first one. So basically in this one, you're going to talk to us about how you evaluate a child with torticollis. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So start us off. What do you do first? Well, what I learned in school is called the SOAP format, and the S stands Mm -hmm. for subjective. The O stands for objective, the A is assessment, and P is plan. So that's kind of how I break up my evaluations. So the first thing I look at is the subjective, and that is what is the history? What is mom and dad telling me? That's all my history questions. So I ask for if there were any complications with birth history. I ask for any family history, and especially any medical history. Does the baby have reflux? There's mm-hmm. a condition called Sandifer syndrome, and that is shown to be a strong correlation between reflux and torticollis. So a lot of the time when babies have reflux, as a result, they have the torticollis just because they want to hold their position in a head of comfort, which is going to be tilted to the side. So that's especially important because the torticollis won't resolve itself until the reflux is managed through medications. So that's a really key history question that I like to ask. And also just Asking what is it like in a typical day for the child? How much time are they spending in containment devices versus being on the floor, being able to explore their environment? That also helps as well. Well, it sounds like when you're doing your birth history that you're asking significantly more than just, hey, hit me with the birth history and what happened, but you're trying to get a picture of the whole child. You said, how does the child spend their day? Do they have other medical issues? You're trying to really find out basically the whole child. Yes, exactly, because a lot of that information can tie into how the child got torticollis. Mm -hmm. So if it's more so a positioning issue with the torticollis, then I want to know how much time is the baby spending on their back? 
mm -hmm. um, versus on tummy time, things like that. Mm -hmm. And then if the baby spits up a lot during my session, well, that's a really good time to ask, does this happen a lot? And then I always make the recommendation to talk to their pediatrician about medication. Gotcha. So it's through those questions and through the observations that you can find out a lot about that baby before you even put their hands on them. Yeah. You talk about this in part one of this, but you talk about good observation skills. So it sounds like, again, you're evaluating as soon as they walk in, but even during your question and as you're getting the medical history, you're still observing and doing that as well. Definitely. And especially when they walk through the doors with the kid in the car seat, that's the prime time <laughs> to see what position is their head resting in versus is it in the middle? Is it tilted? And then just from mm -hmm. then, I know exactly what I'm going to be getting into. Right. And then how does that PIQ tool fit into that? Because again, I know you talked about that in the first one, but help us understand how this fits in with your assessment. Right. So the PIC tool goes into the objective portion of my evaluation. So that's mm -hmm. after I take the history. Now I'm just observing ah. them in the different positions. So taking my hands okay. off them, just kind of looking at them. So looking at their different positions and sitting and supine and prone, how is their head positioned? Is it tilted to one side? Can they maintain their head in midline? Do they have plagiocephaly where they have a flat spot on their head? Also, I can palpate their neck in each position to see if there's a tight muscle that's causing the tilt. Mm -hmm. And it's also a good time to palpate for sutures in different positions to make sure that they're still open. Since I talked gotcha. about that in the first podcast where if they're closed and that's going to mm -hmm. be an issue and you want to refer them out. Right. So that's where that comes into the objective part. Also, okay. With the objective, you want to look at like head writing responses. So is it full, mm -hmm. is it partial, or is there no response? That can tell you a lot about the strength that the baby has in their neck. So if they're tilted huh. to one side, then the opposite side is really overstretched and weak. So you want to check out writing reactions to see how strong they are, if they're able to keep their head up in midline. Is there a certain age where you would start looking at this, Samantha, or you do this from like the babies who are just like a month old, a couple weeks old, two months old? The what? youngest baby that I've had come in with torticollis was about 10 days old. Wow. And, then, and you're doing this with a 10-day-old yes. baby. Yep. So you want to get mm -hmm. a really good picture of the baby as a whole in different positions. So you think that okay. a lot of the 10-day-old babies, they're just going to be on their back. Well, you want to start tummy time early. So how do they have that control mm -hmm. in tummy time? I know, of course, they don't have head control, but it's just a good idea of how they're positioned. Maybe there's some curvature in the spine that you notice from the head position. So try it out in all positions. Gotcha. As you're doing that, is that like a formalized assessment or that's just what you know to do in physical therapy? This is just what I know to do. There's right. not a standardized test that gives me a checklist for torticollis kiddos. Right. It's just right. what I've learned from working here, just being observant, looking at them in each position, noting how much rotation they have versus how much tilt they have, just to get an idea of the whole child. I see that's just why that makes you you and as good as you are. Got it. All right. Thank you. I understand. Okay. <laughs> that's just Samantha being Samantha. Be you. There you go, girl. So we were next? also taught one test that you can do that's more objective versus subjective. It looks mm -hmm. at the amount of head writing and neck strength in the child. And it's called the muscle ah. function scale for infants. And what you do is you hold the baby vertically, just holding <laughs> them around their trunk without head support. And you tilt them horizontally. And what you're looking for is how much they correct their head back to midline. So lifting their head up and they have to hold their head up in that position for five seconds. And the scoring, there's a rating scale of zero to four, where zero is they hold their head the low horizontal, 
One is they hold their head at horizontal. Two is slightly over horizontal. Three is high over horizontal. And four is very high over horizontal. And hmm. at two months, they should be at horizontal. And at 10 months, they should be high or very high. And you can gotcha. also have a grid behind the baby if you have one, and that makes it more objective. So you can really use that objective measurement to track your progress. Okay. And so if you're running and listening to this podcast right now, like I like to do or exercising, or you don't have a pen or piece of paper, which I do have, that information right there will for sure be on our show notes. So you can go back and get it. I just want to tell people in case they're like, ah, what did you just say? <laughs> there you go. Because <laughs> that is important. And everybody likes a scale and a zero, one to four. And you're right, it's subjective, not subjective. So it'll be on our show notes. So that's pretty handy, right? It is. And I definitely use it a lot more since I learned about that. And it's also just a good treatment technique to just hold the baby in a horizontal and then see how much they can correct their head whenever they're watching their peers or playing with mom, just seeing what their strength is. Yeah, that would be applicable for lots of different scenarios with different people we see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So not just okay. for evaluation, but then use it during your treatment as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That makes sense to me. Cool. So then what else in the objective section are you looking for? Mm-hmm. The next part of the evaluation that I look at for the objective part is initiation and inhibition, which is the I in the PIC model. And this is looking at what can they do versus what can't they do. Mm-hmm. So you want to make sure that you look at against gravity and with gravity and also looking at their movement patterns. Do they have increased extension whenever they're rolling to one side due to tightness of their neck muscle? Also, you wanna look at head riding reactions. So do they have difficulty with the head riding reaction when they're rolling due to weakness? Do they have Uh protective reactions? That's often delayed on the side opposite of the tilt. Since all their weight is shifted over to the tilt, they're not quick enough to extend the opposite hand. Look at head control. Do they have head control in each position or does it kind of fall over to one side due to gravity? And are they able to reach with their arms? A lot of the times they'll have difficulty weight shifting due to the tilt. All their side will be shifted to the tilt. So then it's going to be harder to reach with that hand. So being able to look at things of what can they do versus what can't they do. Yeah. I love the way you say it, too. I think that's important to do in every single assessment with a child. What can they do and what can't they do? And I can imagine with a mom or dad or caregiver or brand new baby, and they think the child may have torticollis, and they're really not sure what that means. And there's probably some anxiety, you know, to think their brand new baby's got a little problem here or there. You know, they don't really know what that means. It's nice to start with what they can do. So you can say, okay, well, here's the positive. Now here's what they can't do. So unless that's what we do. It's sort of a nice framework. I love that. I think Mm -hmm. you can use that for every single value you do for every child forever. Definitely. And especially since they are coming in with the baby babies and a lot of the times Mm -hmm. it's the first child, so parents are overwhelmed. I always make sure to ask them, what is their understanding of torticollis? Like, did the doctor explain it to you? Are you clear? And then if not, then I kind of give them the background information on it and tell them that the prognosis is really good the earlier that they come in. And it's just a lot of positioning and handling. Do you find that people know? what torticollis is? I don't know that they know that it's specifically torticollis, but I've had a lot of parents come in saying, oh yeah, they sleep with their head tilted to the side and I don't know why. (laughs) And then I brought it up to my pediatrician and they referred me here. (laughs) So then I just kind of educate them a little bit as to what it is. Gosh, I think that's huge. That's definitely a write down people for sure. Just the fact that as therapists, we get so entrenched in this world, you know, that we forget 
hey, maybe we need to explain to people what we're doing and why we're doing it and what the issue is. So I think that's huge. That's definitely a write down. So now we've looked at initiation and inhibition. And then and we've also looked at the muscle function scale. I got it right. And then the last part of the pick, quality and quantity. Uh-huh. And that's oh, yeah. looking at how are they doing the movements? So how are mm. they rolling? Do they have, again, that neck riding response? Are they able to roll to both sides? Or do they prefer one side over the other? And then also, mm. how are they reaching for toys when they're on their belly? Like I said, right. a lot of the times it's a weight shifting issue because of the tilt. So just being able to look at that quality and quantity of movement. Again, that's another takeaway for like all of ours for the rest of your career for everything is quality and quantity because a child can do great quantity sometimes, but the quality of what they do may be very poor, just like in a baby with protocols and you're assessing this. I know that's what we're talking about today. But again, I think that's a takeaway for every therapist, for every eval for always, because you're always looking at quality and quantity. Sometimes their test scores can be fabulous, but quality of what they're doing is very poor. So yeah, I think that's, that's a great way you have to put to, it. Yeah. Yeah. So are we done with the O or there's um, more? Of the well, objective? there's one more piece, sensation okay. and perception. And that's just looking at visual tracking. So are they able to track to both sides or do they get stuck looking to one side versus the other because mm-hmm. they're not able yeah. to turn their head and also looking at their ability to converge and diverge. So again, that goes with the tracking. And if there's any questions there, then again, you want to delve into the ocular torticollis that we talked about in the first mm-hmm. podcast. Right. Things like that. And then that's what I look at yeah. in the objective assessment of the evaluation. And so really this framework that you're explaining to us right now, and this is how you're writing your assessment up. So if you're checking this off as you go during the assessment, it really makes at least the write-up, as far as I can tell from this point that you talked about, not too bad. I mean, you're basically addressing various areas and stuff, but it seems like it wouldn't be that difficult of a write-up so far. Right. This outline really helps me to organize the evaluation. So I know, okay, I'm going to look at everything that I need to in supine and then everything I need to in sitting and then in prone. And then looking at each piece that I just discussed and each position just Mm -hmm. kind of brings it all together because I know where I did all this in supine. So now I'm going to do the same thing in sitting and kind of assess the same things in different positions. So it's a really easy write-up. So, and then do you actually use this language in your eval, posture, quality, quantity, initiation, inhibition? Do you use that type of language and words in your write-up? I don't use those specific words, but I Mm -hmm. include all that content Mm, in my evaluation. So, yes, they can roll to the right, but they have difficulty rolling to the left because they have decreased neck strength. So there goes the quality, quantity, what they can and what they can't do. All right there. Okay. So if we're sticking with the soap note Mm -hmm. format and assessment, then does that conclude the O part? Yep, that concludes the O part. And then the A part is the assessment. So just looking at everything that you just collected through the history and the objective information and kind of piecing Mm -hmm. together what the child can't do, what they can't do in each position. And then the next part is to make the goals based off that. There you go. Exactly. And I love goal writing as a therapist because it really makes me think, okay, what are they good at? What can they do? Then what do they have difficulty with? Why do they need me? And that's also, if you answer the question, why do they need me? That's usually your justification for the services for therapy to justify for various insurance companies. And also then you develop the plan that sort of, if they, why you need me, then what can you not do? And so how am I going to best help support you and get you to where you need to be, little person. 
child exactly. and the situation baby with torticollis. So there are certain goals that I always like to write for children with torticollis. One of them is to be able to keep their head in neutral position. So that goal mm-hmm. will encompass addressing the rotation component in the lateral tilt component. And it looks at them in supine, prone, and sitting. So knocked out a lot of information with that one goal. Also to make sure that they have, again, with their range of motion, full passive and active range of motion in the areas that they're restricted in. Also to correct for movement patterns um, for age-appropriate movements, such as rolling. So my goal would be that they're able to roll to both sides with adequate neck strength to be able to lift their head completely off the mat to roll over. And also some goals okay. are to prevent facial and skull deformities. And this again will go with whether or not you need a helmet. So addressing like uh, the positioning and the strengthening and stretching with this goal to kind of prevent the deformities and making sure that your cranial vault asymmetry index has improved through your conservative treatment. And I think that's important when you mentioned the word helmet, because not every baby with torticollis is going to need a helmet, right? Right. And a lot of the times, doctors and myself, we want to check the conservative route first to see if the Mm -hmm. repositioning program and strengthening and stretching program will help to kind of reshape their head. And a lot of the times, Mm -hmm. doctors won't prescribe a helmet until at least six months when they know that you've tried that conservative route first. Well, that makes sense. Because, yeah, you'd always want to start conservative before you have to go with more invasive for anybody ever. So your goals are all fit in those various categories then? Am I understanding it correctly? Yes. So I have a lot of like range of motion goals, being able to hold their head in midline, being able to roll appropriately to each side, being able to have appropriate weight shifting for reaching if they're on their stomach, just general goals like that. And that encompasses the child as a whole because then I'm not restricted to a specific goal. It's kind of more general that I can encompass the whole child with. Yeah, exactly. So you had a lot of wiggle room in there, basically, is what you're trying yes. to tell us. <laughs> the wiggle room that you specifically to adapt to each child. I got yes. it. Yeah. All right. So then how often do you evaluate a baby with torticollis? When you write your goal plans up for the initial assessment, how long would you expect before some of these children are meeting the goals and you have to reevaluate or write the new plan of care? Mm-hmm. Well, there's actually a treatment algorithm for muscular torticollis. And you start the child in with PT for six to eight weeks, and then you reevaluate them. And if they're improving, then you want to continue PT for six to eight more weeks to keep those improvements up. So if they're not improving, then you might want to check into having an eye or a neurological exam just to make sure Mm -hmm. that everything's still on track and there's not an underlying issue that could be causing the torticollis. The child still has a persistent head tilt and the SCM is still really tight. Then you might want to Mm -hmm. consider surgery at two to three years if you can't get that muscle to relax. Really? And then if you have a persistent head tilt and all the medical workup is negative and everything's good and you're just wondering why can't I get rid of this tilt, then Mm -hmm. maybe you want to refer them out for an x-ray of the cervical spine because then Mm -hmm. that could be the vertebral torticollis where no matter how much you stretch and strengthen, just because of the way the bony anatomy is, it's going to cause that tilt. But most of the time, torticollis resolves within six months, and 90 to 99% resolve with conservative treatment. 
So it's a really good outcome, like the earlier the child gets in. The better. Yes. Right. Yeah. So this is where, if you did this in the first podcast, you need to go back and hear part one. It was just fascinating where you talk about kids who need the x-rays and they could have bony anomalies and that kind of thing and that type of torticollis, which I had no idea that, that was a specific type of torticollis. It was great. Again, hit pause, go back, bring a pen. There you go. Okay. So then is your plan complete and then we move over to treatment? Yes. So then all, all right. this treatment is tailored towards the goals that I made to address those. Mm-hmm. Things that I like to do are massage, kind mm-hmm. of to relax the tight muscles and get my hands in there, especially stretching of the tight muscles, the stretching the tight SCM, stretching the upper trap. There's also really small muscles in the back of your head that help you rotate and tilt your head. And sometimes those muscles get really tight. So doing a suboccipital release will help to relax those as well. One thing you don't want to do, you want to be careful of if the child has ligament laxity, then you don't want to do a lot of stretching just because they're more prone because they're a little bit more lax. So kids with Down syndrome, you just want to be careful not to stretch them. Also, what I do for treatment is strengthening. So a lot of people forget about the strengthening component because all they see is that tight muscle. Where if you're tilted to one side and it's really tight, the opposite side is going to be really stretched on and weak. So it's going to be a lot of strengthening of the opposite side through neck riding reactions, holding them horizontal, and seeing if they can bring their head up to midline. So looking at that strength as well. I do a lot yeah. of active positioning. So mm-hmm. getting them on their back, having them reach for toys, encouraging them to roll, to get onto their stomach and helping them with the transitions getting that trunk rotation so that it's easier for them to lift their head up to clear the mat, things like that. And all of this is functional application, just regular life stuff that babies are supposed to do. Rolling, moving their head side Mm -hmm. to side, stretching for a toy, that kind of thing. Got it. Mm -hmm. So you're working within the regular normal developmental movement patterns the babies would do anyway. Right. And I'm just trying to teach them through this stretching and strengthening how to do all that with their head in midline. So it's nothing new that a baby wouldn't do. It's just I need to retrain their musculature to go back to midline so that they do roll appropriately with the neck strength and all that. That makes sense to me. And then what about other treatment strategies besides stretching and strengthening? Does most of your treatment revolve around or are there other things that you would do besides stretching and strengthening? I've also done kinesio taping. There's Hmm. two different ways that you can do kinesio taping for Hmm. children with torticollis. The first way Mm -hmm. is to tape to facilitate the SCM and the upper trap on the weak side because they're really overstretched and weak. So you want to facilitate them to fire more. So then you can put the kinesio tape along the fibers of the SCM on the opposite side to facilitate those. Mm. And then the second type is for muscle relaxation on the affected side. So on the side of the SCM that's really tight, then you put the kinesio tape against the fibers on that side to kind of inhibit it and try to get it to shut off. Gotcha. And we have done a podcast in the past on taping, so we don't have to go into too much here, the details on, you know, how to tape safely, you know, some of the maybe negative reactions that may happen with taping, that kind of thing. So if you haven't listened to our podcast on using kinesio tape and treatment, that kind of thing, we did one of those. And so just if you look on our website, the Working Therapist website, you can find that. 
So do you find taping to be effective and helpful? And do you use it a lot, Samantha? I do. I do find it helpful. There is actually an article that was presented that said that the muscle relaxing technique, so taping against mm-hmm. the fibers of the SEM, was the most effective. But of course, that's in combination with your stretching and strengthening program. So not just a standalone treatment. I mm-hmm. do kinesio taping a lot on my kiddos after I've done a lot of strengthening and stretching and there's just mm-hmm. this last little tilt that's not resolving. So then I try taping and then I educate the parents at home to tape so that they get that constant cue to kind of correct themselves. And that's shown to be a, really helpful in my kiddos too. Gotcha. So that makes sense. So besides the taping, the stretching, the strengthening, do you talk massage? then I guess a helmet could be part of treatment, but you said that's the more invasive. You try the less invasive things first and then would go with a helmet later. Yes. So based on the research, the most effective time for a helmet is between four and 12 months. And Hmm. anywhere between birth and that four to five month range is where the conservative treatment is going to be the most effective during that time. And helmets are actually not dispensed after 18 months Hmm. because then the skull and everything is done growing and it's not as effective anymore. The main time period for the helmet is 4 to 12. Who gets the helmet for the kids? Like, do you refer out? Who do you refer to? So what I do is first I do the cranial ball asymmetry index to get the measurement to see Hmm. if it's recommended based on those measurements. And then I write a letter to the doctor, to the pediatrician, Mm -hmm. just telling them the numbers, what their progress is during therapy. And then I give that with the parents to send them off to their pediatrician. And then their pediatrician Uh, will make the main referral for the helmet. So even though I recommend it, I don't make that referral. It's going to be on the pediatrician to send them out. And you just basically have to communicate with the pediatrician best of what you need and why and all that good stuff. Yes. This is a little sidebar, but you know, you can bedazzle the helmets. I saw one little girl one time for therapy and her mother had bedazzled her helmet. It was the cutest yeah. helmet I've ever seen, ever seen. See, um, I didn't know that you could bedazzle a helmet, but you can, and you can make them actually really cute. So, yeah, I had a um, little kiddo that mom put snowflakes on it for the winter time, and it was really it. cute. See, all, see, there you go. <laughs> you can make it cute, you know, and it doesn't have to look too you know, not fun. So then what about home programs? Because I'm sure that at the end of a therapy session, you're giving things to the parents to work on. What do those look like? So the home exercise program is really, really important when it comes to children with torticollis. When you think about how much time they spend in therapy versus at home, it's really important to get parents on board with the program to be able to carry it through at home. So we give Mm -hmm. them all the stretches that we do, and we have a little handout that we provide to our families based on which side of the tilt it is. And we tell them to perform those exercises at every diaper change since mom and dad change their kids multiple times throughout the day. So then it's just in their routine to do the home program at that time. It shouldn't Mm. be any burden. It's just going to be in their routine. And we tell them to hold the stretches for 30 seconds or as long as the child will tolerate. And then at the end of every diaper change, I tell them to roll their kid on their belly and have at least one minute of tummy time. So a lot of my kids, they don't like tummy time. So it's really important (laughs) to improve their tolerance. So even just Mm -hmm. on the changing table, just for one minute, at least they have that one little bit of tummy time. I want to point out one thing that you said, that the real progress happens at home with what the parent does with the child. I mean, the parent brings the child into us. As therapists, we see the child, we 
develop the plan. We basically what I call drive the train, but then the real progress happens with that parent daily at home with that child working on what was designed by the therapist. And then yes. when they come back, there should be the expectation from the parent that they're going to get more home exercises and another home program, and that's going to be updated. And it should be the expectation of the therapist that the parent followed through and did it. That's the buy-in yes, therapy. and I always like so, to write down um, the exercises that I give to the parents so that they can refer mm-hmm. back. So I try to give mm-hmm. one or two exercises each session that they come in to carry through for the week. But then I don't want them to forget about the prior week's assignment. They kind of mm-hmm. all build on each other. And do you ever have parents take pictures of different exercises or take videos during therapy? Or I would do. You recommend that? And I definitely recommend it. If I see that a parent is kind of struggling with the handling, then I Mm -hmm. help them position the child appropriately, and then I'll take a picture of them doing it so that they can refer back to that picture to know that they're doing it right. It's also Mm -hmm. good if the child's in daycare, so you can take pictures and also provide it to the daycare staff so that they can carry through with it as well. Yes, I love that because then that makes the parents feel connected with the child and know what's happening, what the therapist is doing because you can email those pictures to the parents or video or whatever it is. Right. Because we're all that. on the same team working for the best yeah. benefit of that child. You know, sort of gone are the days of those standard, you know, handouts with those little baby pictures and stick figures on them, uh-huh. you know, kind of thing. Now you've got the real deal. You've got basically a computer in your pocket and it's your phone so you can use your technology. So I love that. That's great. So that kind of brings us up to the end there, Samantha. So we've done, you know, assessment. We've talked about some treatment strategies. We talked about the home program. Why don't we tell everybody this again? Whatever, it's the first podcast. But actually, this material came from a class that you attended. And tell everybody the name of that class. Yeah, it was Getting the Picture, Assessing and Treating mm-hmm. Common Pediatric Patients. And it was taught mm-hmm. by Michelle Linehan. So I want to give her credit gotcha. for the information. Yep. And then we'll also have that information again in the show notes. So if you're interested in also attending that class, because this is basically a starting point, but then it's our professional responsibility as therapists to continue to learn and to continue to, you know, educate ourselves and to use resources to do that. So if you listen to this podcast and then you want to learn more, check out the show notes, check out that class, and then we'll put up some other resources that may be helpful as well. That's fair to say? Yes. All right. Good deal. Well, again, Samantha, this was awesome. This was just as good as the first one. I think this is good functional daily. Hey, I'll put this stuff into practice right now for a therapist, which is what we really do. So thank you so much for helping us all out. No problem. Thank you. I love it. I think you made tour calls made easy, basically, but it's not really. So that's not fair to say, but kind of <laughs> you just did it. Really? Yes. You did. I love it. And again, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Samantha. You are just fantastic. I think it's a great resource. It's going to help a ton of therapists, tons of kids, tons of families, which is what we do. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So again, if you missed part one, go back and listen. All of our other podcasts are there as well on theworkingtherapist.com. The show notes are there. This was awesome. Samantha is fantastic. We have phenomenal therapists. She has worked a whole day and then also done this podcast. And again, it's phenomenal. So, and I forgot to mention also, Samantha is the brainchild behind our bike camp too. So if you haven't listened to that podcast, go back and hear that. She is just a mag daddy. So thank you. All right. Well, again, thanks everybody for listening. We appreciate your time. I know this information will be helpful. And I'll catch you next time on another episode of The Working Therapist. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. 
If you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, visit us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com. 